and welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, he writes for The Athletic. His life, his love, his lady is not the sea. He lives on land. He would never choose a body of water over a lady. He is Cody Stabenhagen. Cody, how you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate these. I'm getting a little tired of them always being like references to my relationship status. You know, it's not it's not what defines me. But you're right. I'm currently in my hometown of Amarillo, Texas. There is no sea anywhere close to me. So um, as much as, you know, the, the romanticism, as much as I like the song, it's just not true. It's not true. Yeah. I mean, just not a good way to live your life. You'd rather just be in the ocean over a fine girl named Brandy. Just saying. It's in the song. So we're officially, I guess you could say, off-season mode, except there is no off-season. We're continuing doing the podcast. You are continuing to uh, churn out excellent work. Um, but before we get to the tiger specifically, I thought we could maybe talk about the, uh, the concept of the wild card game because... You know, it might come up for the Tigers in the next couple of years as like their way to get into the playoffs. Um, you know, it's kind of the steps. You know, you typically don't go and win your division first. You know, you kind of fight for the wild card battle. Um, a lot of pushback in the general baseball community about the wild card game, especially with the Dodgers having won 106 games and then having the play in it. Um, I push back on the pushback, Cody. I think. Baseball, in general, with 162 games, there's an urgency problem in baseball. Like That's why TV ratings don't really pick up until postseason. There's not urgency in May. Like, you don't really feel it because you're still going to have 110 games or you know whatever. And as the season progresses down, more and more teams aren't necessarily putting out their best efforts. And, you know, guys get hurt. There's an urgency problem in baseball. And the wild card game solves that to a T. It's win or go home. And over 162 games, you came up short in your division. Yeah, you won 106 games. It happens. It happens. Like I don't think that. Like I don't think this should be considered an indictment of the wild card game. I think it's great for baseball to begin the week with uh, with talented teams literally fighting for their postseason lives and prime time and of course you know to have the los angeles market and then the boston and new york rivalry take center stage i that was about as well and st louis another you know team that's been um really successful over the years has a very passionate fan base i thought it was awesome i thought it was great for the game i think those are the kinds of things that baseball needs in order to increase its popularity and and get get it talked about more because you know you listen to a nationally syndicated radio show they're not talking baseball basically until now like there's they just and and it's a dead period you own the summer there's not really anything else going on but it just that's not really how it works and these are the kinds of things that drum up interest in the game so i am pro wild card game i don't have any sympathy for dodgers fans because they won 106 games and it's unfair that we're in a winner go home game where you got to use up all your bullpen arms potentially and I'm sorry but this is something that's better for the game you got the short end of the stick a little bit just on the circumstance 
still, you had plenty of opportunities to take care of business. They were awful to begin the year. So that's my take on the wild card game. What, what kind of say you? Baseball faces kind of this existential problem where everything seems divided into two camps. There are these people, maybe the casual fans who turn, turn in, tune into the postseason, like you said, and then, oh, baseball's boring. We don't want to talk about baseball during the summer when we should be talking about baseball. We want to talk about the NBA draft and NFL training camp and, you know, college football preseason polls like I complained about people doing all summer long. But then you have the people who actually like baseball but aren't like me and seem to hate everything exciting and fun for the game. Oh, why would we have a wild card game? Baseball is not meant to be a one game playoff. At some point, you have to be able to compromise a little bit. I think the wild card game is exciting. Um, I, I, you know, that leads to discussions of should there be expanded playoffs? And I kind of get that, and it would maybe disincentivize teams from tanking as much. Tanking makes the game pretty boring when half the teams are basically out of it by June. But mm-hmm. I also think it should be hard to make the playoffs. The last thing I want is the NBA playoffs where most years the first two rounds don't really count. Like, like you know who's going to win and nothing really matters until like the conference finals or maybe conference semifinals. Um, yeah. The NBA playoffs are too big in my opinion. I don't want that in baseball. I think that would be kind of boring. So I'm all for the wild card game. I, I, I do think it's unfortunate that a team wins 106 games and gets placed in this winner, winner go home type of game. But ultimately, I think that's an anomaly. I don't think that's really what the, the wild card game was designed to be. And I think very few years are you going to have a team win 106 games and be a wild card. It was just a weird thing that happened and shook out this year. And good news, guess what? The Dodgers won that game, so it's all it's all okay. And uh, you know, now they're in a series against the Giants. You want to prove that you're the better team? Well, now you got the series to do it. The bullpen thing, yeah, I like I don't know. Again, have a good bullpen. You know, you could have a rough game one in a five game series and still your bullpen is depleted. So I don't think it's that much different um you know i've heard like expand the wild card game to a best of three and it's like i think you're just kind of kicking the can down the road there baseball is also not really meant for a three game series at the major league level mm-hmm. it's meant for five sometimes even a five i could argue series it's, it's not really meant for like, five in yeah my opinion. i don't, I don't yeah. think it is so uh I, I think i'm all for the wild card game i think it's fun i think it's exciting i think we've seen teams um, in the wild card era, do well in the postseason. I think it's all going to be okay. I think people should just have a little bit of fun um, and realize it's not every year you're going to have a 116 win team in the wild card. It's true, and you know it should. The focus should be like you know to take the Yankees and Red Sox. They had the same record, but because of whether the tiebreaker was they. You know, we're in Boston. I was listening to a podcast where a bunch of Yankee fans were calling in, and they were lamenting the three-game sweep that the Tigers had. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like that cost them a chance to host the wild card. So the focus should be on those games that you should have won, or that like a key mistake was made, and that's why you kind of put yourself in the situation. There'd be plenty, plenty of opportunities. I'm sure that the Dodgers had to be able to win two more games. And then also they say, like, it's unfair we have to play our division opponent in the, you know, next round. It's like fairness. Like, whatever, dude. Like, it's it, it's a game. 
go out and play it. Go out and make a play. You know, like it, I don't know. I like I could I could reasonably say like if you want to reseed in the second round, you know that's that's fine or whatever. But I don't have like a problem with the format right now. So I could be. I I wonder if maybe different seeding is a potential workaround. Basically, maybe the Dodgers avoid a one-game playoff because they won 106 games. Uh, but then you're going to get, oh, the Cardinals or whatever, you know, or the, the um, what I guess would be the Braves. We won our division and we have to go play in a one-game playoff. Well, that doesn't seem fair either. So you're not going to be able to please everybody. That's the reality. I don't think there is a perfect solution. I could be talked into just different postseason seeding in general. Um, I think that's a better solution than getting rid of the wild card game or expanding the wild card game to a series or like maybe from a revenue standpoint, expanded playoffs would be good. But overall, I'm not a fan of expanded playoffs. Yeah. And I don't expect that to happen because the players will be against. Uh, I believe, I don't want to say this for a fact. I believe the players will be against it at the negotiating table. Um, because like you said, it, it, it kind of it could disincentivize like spending top dollar on players. Or it also could do that in a weird way, although it might decentivize tanking. It could also de- decentivize top end spending. So yeah, it's, that's that's kind of a really weird thing that is definitely true both ways. Yeah. So, all right. So I was um, as I was reading your your AJ Hinch uh, encapsulation piece, I realized that you more or less started this season the same way with an in depth profile of AJ Hinch and you know kind of bookended your coverage. A little bit, obviously, you're continuing to ride and had more stories, but you know what I mean. Like you, 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 the before the season, AJ Hinch, and the after the season, AJ Hinch, with all this new information that we have in terms of how would he do as a Tigers manager. Um, I guess I want to start out by asking you, what have you learned from, or what have you learned about AJ Hinch over the course of covering him, um, conversating with him? Um, you know, it's, it seems like you have a great respect for his baseball acumen, having seen it, um, up close. So what, what, have, what have you learned about and from him and then, you know, how it kind of filtered into your reporting? Well, I think the booking thing was intentional in a way, or, or it shows that AJ Hinch, the story of the 2021 20, Tigers is the story of AJ Hinch. It was the central storyline to the season obviously in spring training a new manager and then even kind of in the last road trip i was like all right what do i what do i need to get out of the last road trip and like what is the story here and it was aj hinch in my in my opinion by leaps and bounds anyone who's followed the tigers can sense the impact he has had on this organization in terms of what i've learned i think the vast majority of things i kind of gathered or gleaned about aj through um, early interactions with him and through all the reporting I did on him early in the season held up to be true. I mean, this guy's um, reputation, sign-stealing scandal aside, kind of kind of preceded him in terms of his baseball acumen, his savvy, um, his personality. So there was not much about A.J. Hinch that took me by surprise all year. He was very much the type of person he was kind of billed out to be, which is this super smart manager who's also um, very media savvy. I mean, I think if there's one thing I learned, I think it's his his competitiveness and uh, 
almost his bluntness. Like this guy wants to win and he came to the Tigers to win. And he, um, you know, I do think that kind of drives and motivates him every day. He definitely doesn't take excuses. He definitely never quite bought into the, oh, well, we're still in a rebuild. It's going to take a couple years to get this thing off the ground. I think there are good managers in the game who would have done that. AJ never really accepted that mindset, and there was no lack of confidence in him coming in and putting his stamp on this organization. I think even behind closed doors with players, he's not afraid to be brutally honest at times, and I think that's really helped guys like Jake Rogers, like Kyle Funkhauser, um, telling people what they need to hear and basically saying, Hey, if you want to win, if you want to be a part of this thing, you got to get better. Here's what we want you to do to get better. I think that, uh, number one, I think that gained him respect among the players. And number two, I think it's, uh, the trade of a pretty good manager. So, you know, those are, those are just a couple of things that, that stand out to me from AJ's first year, but overall, um, everything, you hear about the guy, you know, in terms of the type of person he is, the type of manager he is, 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 you know, has held up to be true in my opinion. Yeah. And this is something that you and I had talked, um, away from the show about and, you know, tweeted a handful of times, but my biggest takeaway is AJ's one of the guys that made me think, Oh, the manager is back Yeah, because yeah. the, the way the the normal way of doing business i don't know about normal but like the innovative way of doing business is the front office more or less makes the lineups and you know gives all the scenarios for when to you know substitute this pitcher in and you know that kind of thing and and how to attack you know hitters and pitchers and situations for this strategy and whatnot and the manager's more there to you know, manage, honestly, just kind of manage, manage the players, manage the locker room, manage the personality and execute the front office game plan. Uh, that's more or less what's, what's been going on in New York and like Tampa and all that stuff. And, and so AJ comes in and he, the, the quote he had in, in your story about how I'm a different manager in Detroit yeah. than I was in Houston because my personnel's different. It's not better or worse. It's just I'm a different manager. Like that, he couldn't manage the team obviously the same way because the talent is different. So he found ways to put the Tigers in winning situations, situations to succeed, and that's why they were able to blow the doors off their Vegas over under. And if the Tigers greatly upgrade their talent next year, or the year after, he's not going to manage the way he did this year. You know, and, and he's kind of laid that out there. And so the power of the manager, that's probably the number one thing that I'm taking away from AJ this year. The manager's back. That is one thing that surprised me is I thought AJ was kind of more of a by-the-books analytical manager, and he was a little more in Houston. Although when I really went back, it's not like he was um, ever extremely cookie-cutter or anything like that, but you know, just coming from the Astros, he had that reputation a little bit and he, he is a smart guy and he values data and numbers. So I never would have guessed AJ Hinch would have been the guy to like get me to believe in going against the, the book a little bit, or I, I don't think he's quite made me a believer in the sacrifice bunt, but like, <laughs> man, like stolen bases are pretty cool. I'm kind of back one board with the stolen base. 
uh, I, I would not have guessed that of AJ Hinch by any means, but I think he showed that a manager can, can, uh, like you said, he can be this huge presence in the organization who can, can make a difference in the entire culture of a team. And he can still make a difference from the dugout. I mean, there were games this season. I think of their, their series in Toronto, which actually probably cost the, the Blue Jays a playoff berth. Oh, um, there were numerous games early, early in the season where, look, you, you can't really say a manager or a coach wins a game in every sport because the players have to go out and execute it. And Tigers players did a good job of that all year. But there were games where A.J. Hinch managed his team to a win in ways that were they were really eye-opening for me to see. And it, it wasn't just like taking unnecessary risks or doing anything stupid, but he just had this way of hitting the right button at, at buttons at the right times. Sometimes that meant a bunt here, a stolen base here. Um, the way he managed his bullpen all year wasn't necessarily um, against any book. I mean, I think he really valued matchups, but he was creative and flexible and not rigid at all. And we saw some really masterful managing jobs that were that that was just good and fun baseball to watch, no doubt. So one of the things that I really liked about um, AJ, where you had the thing in the beginning where he said, "If you don't expect to win, don't be in this locker room." That's pretty cliche, honestly. Like, I, I mean, during Ron Guidenhar's time, they had like signs right in, in the in Lakeland that were like. Yeah, Guardy didn't do that. But, but yeah, yeah, but like, you know, like it, there was that that kind of cliche was out yeah. there. Yeah. Every and, every team has that thing, sure. But yeah. I have never heard of this. Maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong. I've never heard of the end of season speech happening when you're mm-hmm. officially eliminated from playoff contention. That stood out to me. I mean, that's genius. This is the standard. You know that that's what he's saying. This yeah, that's it's really interesting because it it almost sets the message of like okay, these last fifteen games, like f it if you you know we can mail this in if we want to, but I don't think I I think when you have that end of season meeting the day you're eliminated from playoff contention. AJ said yeah, he did it to prove a point. He wanted his players to know that they had been eliminated to remember that feeling, basically to say all right, like you failed, like let's never do this again. And, you know, I don't know what that meant for the last 15 games of the season, but if anything, maybe it uh, created more incentive to play out the schedule. Like, all right, get better. Like, all right, you know, prove something. If you want to prove something next year, it starts now. Um, We'll see if that, you know, that is one of these managerial tactics that maybe that makes a difference. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe even that is just kind of a little... It's not cliched because it is original, but kind of just like a coachy, coach speak type thing. But I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty clever. I think it speaks to AJ's desire to have a high standard for well, sure. This is just a complete guess on my part, but I think it also, and maybe he did this unintentionally, but I think it also speaks to AJ probably not being a believer in like finishing the season let's say seven and three the last 10 games and then thinking that that momentum carries over into the next yeah, season yeah well he's yeah so like that, i don't yeah. i don't know if that that could have been part of the message too whereas like yeah go out play hard do your job this that the other thing get better but make no mistake what happens here on out is not just gonna 
carry over for six months and then all of a sudden you know th- these are things that have to happen over the course of a year and they did but like the the Lowe's last games in terms of like trying to build on for next season it wasn't going to happen in those games so that sometimes fans like to think like if you just finish you know the last handful of games strong and then it like carries over in the next season and I that doesn't really seem like something that 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 happens in my opinion I also just want to say you could like sense it just being in AJ's presence, like not being in the playoffs ate at him, especially after being a playoff manager multiple years in a row with the Astros going to two World Series. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll share this one for our pod listeners. AJ, I guess, gets like he was really sick the last weekend in Chicago, non-COVID, tested negative multiple times and all that. But he had a cold, uh, really bad vaccinated. cold, like, and he is vaccinated. So what? It, that's Again, it wasn't COVID, but he was very sick, he, and he, he kind of sold us like, yeah, I get sick at the end of every season. And I guess AJ's wife, Erin, was like, yeah, usually that happens in November, though. <laughs> <laughs> and you could just see AJ, like, seething as he, like, recounted that story to us. <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, I doubt he would admit this to reporters, especially on the record, but I have to think that there's the, like the competitive drive in him, especially with the Astros looking as strong as they are in the postseason. There's got to be a competitive drive in him to be, and Alex Cora, a guy who you know used to work for him, having the success in Boston, um, already had success, obviously, but you know continually in post scandal. Um, that's like I got to be able to do this ish, like again, yeah. like on my own, be, to prove yeah. that I like I wasn't some product of some gimmicky you know scandal because obviously the the scandal is bad but let's not make it overshadow the development of the players and how talented they were and his talent as it as as a manager so but there's got to be a, a maybe it's a big part of him that he carries with him i don't know but there's got to be a part of it. it's like i gotta i, I gotta say, do my, this. my my final aj hinch suggestion box of the year is aj go like take a week off like go go on a beach somewhere Pour yourself a tall drink. I think I think AJ's more into like craft beer, red wine, like fine bourbon, like drinks like he's in Palo Alto, you know. Uh, <laughs> so maybe don't do. Maybe drink like you're from Oklahoma. Like maybe get a case of Miller Light and just chill. Uh, maybe and and maybe turn off like the Astros. But I know AJ. I know he's not going to do that. I know he's fixated watching the postseason, watching the Astros. And I would love to just uh, have a glass of fine bourbon and watch AJ's facial expression oh. like the Astros are tearing up Tony LaRusso's White Sox, you know, <laughs> I'm sure there's a part of him that just like wants to, wants to be like managing that team or, or, you know, how, just like the competitor in him, like he wants to be there doing that in the postseason, whether it's, you know, whatever team right now it would be with the Tigers. But um, yeah, I think that'd be funny just to watch his facial expression. I think there are several societal problems that if they could be solved with money that would raise it we could raise enough money to solve x if we had an auction for hang out with aj hinch as he watches the astros against the white Sox. <laughs> i think that that might solve world hunger uh like that might cure cancer like i think there would be a lot of money in that ticket just you and aj one-on-one uh but you mentioned his wife, and and you also in your story mentioned you know his wife and uh, two daughters, correct? Two daughters. Yeah. Um, 
and sort of like his home routine. They bought a home in the suburbs, and you know he's still gonna go down to Houston because you know it's uh, roots with his youngest uh, still in high school. But and I almost don't want to bring this up, but I th- I, I thought of it as I was reading your story is that this these are some actions of a guy who wants to ride this out and we had to do all that rumor stuff with the opt-out in the contract earlier in the year luckily it hasn't come up and i'm almost regretting kind of bringing it up again but at the same time i think it's worth noting like you know some people might get the wrong idea if he just like goes to houston for the basically until january whatever i thought though these were steps incremental steps that showed like kind of feels like he's all in and i and and that's you know, if you're a Tigers fan, that's really what you want, and that's really all you need to know. He's all in, despite this, you know, Houston connection. Even though it's the first time he doesn't live live in the city that he's uh, managing in, but life circumstances are a lot different this time. So I think it's worth noting. I I got the impression like all that stuff he was saying, he's all in. We I mean, put this opt out thing to bed. Um. Yeah. I, again, I'm. I. I don't know about the opt out. I'm not even going to really speak on that because I don't. I don't know the facts on it. But and look, I think if the Tigers add a couple of the right pieces this off season, it's not going to matter anyway because they're. They're. You know that that would is what it would be about. But AJ, we know AJ's an avid listener. It must be weird listening to people talk about you like on some podcast for like ten minutes at a time. But whatever. Uh, but but I hope when I was asking him that, I was kind of asking him about his living situation. And I hope that he didn't get the, the idea that I was suggesting, like, oh, like you're not staying in Detroit. Like, hopefully sure, in the yeah. story, it came through what I no, was getting at. I, thought I, I, I think he knew that. But uh, I, thought I, did. I was a little worried when I asked that. Um, so for anyone who reads that and is like, oh, well, AJ's not staying in Detroit. He must not really be a tiger. Like Jim Leland lived in the clubhouse. And then, like, would go back to Pittsburgh with his wife at the offseason. The only reason Jim Leland had anywhere to live is because Mike Illich found out he was living in the clubhouse and was <laughs> like, Jim, we're, like, we're going to get you an apartment, dude. Like, come on. You can't, you're the manager of a Major League yeah. Baseball team. You can't live in the clubhouse. So this is fairly common for managers to do. AJ, again, is probably a sign he, like, cares about his family. His youngest daughter's in high school. So, of course, he's going to go – he's going to let her finish um, – at her school and everything. But he did say, you know, when, uh, when the time comes, when she graduates or whatever, you know, he and his wife will kind of start looking at their next step. They did buy a house, um, in Birmingham. So one of the options could be move up to Birmingham permanently. He did say again, when you're a major league manager, you know, who knows what the shelf lives of these jobs are. So he said, I hope this lasts long enough for that to even be an option. Uh, so I think that's a sign of someone who definitely has long-term visions. If he didn't have long-term visions, he could just live. I can't imagine AJ Hinch living in the clubhouse, but uh, he could, you know, he could have done something other than buy a nice house in Birmingham. Yeah, he's been gotten some basic apartment or something, or yeah, or hell, he makes enough money, live in a hotel room, do the Dana Holgerson route, sleep yeah, in a hotel room. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, by the way, if there's a solution to AJ being like, yeah, it is kind of weird that these guys like talk about me and all that stuff. We could talk to him. He always has an hey, open invitation hey, to come on the podcast anytime, anytime. I, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes submitting a request is like just kind of awkward, and it's like you must do this. Like if you want to come on, like shoot me a text, 
do like three o'clock on a Wednesday or like after you finish your round of golf and we'll just chat for like 30 minutes. Like just, 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 just hit me up. Just Shop it up. Me. We don't even have to talk Tigers. We could talk about Stanford football if you want. I See, would love to not talk about the Tigers at all. Let's talk about Stanford, Tiger Oklahoma. Woods, who's crazier, Jim Harbaugh or Mike Gundy, like yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, let's go. So um, last thing on, on, on AJ, last thing, you, you got to get your – your reporting juices and your sources on this. What was the tab at the steakhouse uh, when him, Al, oh. and Chris? We I wow. gotta know. I got to know, and I gotta know what they ordered, and I gotta know what drinks they had. It seemed like a the way you described it. It seemed like a pretty lively uh, encounter. I, I get the sense it was, and I know it lasted like multiple hours. And I know Al Avila was there, so I'm gonna assume the tab was pretty high. I don't know. AJ's in this job interview, you know, the other guys like Minzen, like probably trying to be like a little more professional. Look, if Alavilo was there, I'm sure it was a little bit of a party. Yeah. And and it's I assume it's all in the owner's dime. So it's like, why not just get the, the yeah, nice? And, and Chris Chris doesn't have to, you know, check the price on anything. You know, I'm not breaking any news no. here. He I mean short stops maybe, but like <laughs> steakhouses, no. Like Well, in that case, let's trans- transition over into hearing from Al to end the year. Um, uh, look, some sometimes like sometimes I'm just a contrarian by nature, you know, J school guy, just a contrarian by nature. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I see like the complaints that people have, uh, especially about Al. I'm like, guys, could we relax for three seconds? Oh my God, Al just never says anything. It's like that makes him basically like every other GM in every sport, uh, especially when it comes to end of season stuff. I know it's like annoying for maybe like a reporter when you want to get good stuff, but they're just fans. Like they, it's their job status and their ability to do their job is unaffected by Al saying something interesting. So like, <laughs> so like, it's just like, come on. And I don't know. I just feel like I really do feel like there are some people out there that if uh, if Al saved like a drowning dog on, in Lake Michigan, like they'd probably be like, yeah, but like you could have done it faster, you know? Oh, oh the abs- <laughs> like absolutely, yeah. So he didn't say anything <laughs> all that interesting, but that's again to be expected. Like you can't make any promises. Uh, I did like the joke about. I'm now uh, envisioning Alan Alavila swimming out into Lake <laughs> Michigan and like getting like retrieving a dog. It would be a very heroic act. It would also be kind of hilarious. And and someone like criticizing like his I breaststroke to go way. out and get the dog. <laughs> <laughs> but but there were a couple things. Um, and again, like part of the reason that you can't make any promises is that to quote our old buddy. Uh, Current Penn State offensive coordinator, but now uh, used to be Oklahoma State offensive coordinator, Mike Yursich, everything affects everything. So, like, going after this guy hard, that, that, you know, then you can't, you know, that's time away from going after this guy. And, you know, you know making the uh, priority this position group, then, you know, you can't do it um, over here. Like, it, there's a balancing act there. And why would you commit to saying like yeah we need to get a shortstop when look we all know that's a thing like whether he says it or not and also i want to say this part of it when you're a coach when you're any kind of leadership uh in an organization 
you don't even if you do need to make upgrades you don't want to make it sound like you're shafting the guys on your team like it doesn't you know you, the, the your current employees you know any any kind of job like you don't have to like make it seem like it's an indictment of them even if it is but you don't have to just go out to the media and just blast dudes and being like what do you want them to go out there and say like yeah nico goodrum stinks so we gotta get another shortstop willie castro stinks so we gotta get no you're not gonna do that you know that's unprofessional honestly to do something like that so i want to defend his language there a little bit um was there any big takeaway you had from al um from that no i in a way like like I can see both sides of it. I think there are a few, not many, but a few GMs or owners in sports who might have sat up there and said, we're here to win. We know we need a shortstop. We're going to do whatever it takes to go get a shortstop and construct a winner in Detroit. And look, approval, approval rating would sort through the roof if you said that. Part of me was like, this is the time. If you're ever going to say something like that, like this is the time. Part of me also understands that this is way more complicated than that. And from a basic, it's like going going to buy a car. If you show up to the car lot and you make it clear that you want this car, like they're going to be less likely to come down on the price. You know, if you're like, when, when I was getting my car, I, I made a point to be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a couple other uh, Mustangs around town. Just kind of threw that in there. So they knew. So they knew. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, I don't think of myself as a skilled negotiator. But if you corner yourself into one option, that's just not good negotiating. Uh, from a roster construction standpoint, I do think it will be a failure if the Tigers do not come away with a new face at shortstop, preferably a good shortstop at the same time. I don't think you want to be signing anyone to a 10 year contract. You know, so again, let's say that you make a great offer for Correa, but it just gets, you know, he just wants too many years or something and you can't get him. And then you try to get like Simeon or Story, but one of them goes to the Yankees and you, this happens sometimes. Sometimes you just miss on the dudes. That happens even to big market teams. And so that's maybe another reason he didn't want to make any promises in that event. Uh, you look at other ways to build the roster. Al said he doesn't view outfield as a priority, which I think is an interesting argument and actually one I disagree with a little bit. Uh, but I think if they were to miss out on a shortstop, then maybe you see them reallocate some funds to adding a more of a top-end outfielder, things like that. So I think these are some of the reasons Al didn't come out and just say what everyone probably wanted him to say, probably closer to what he actually is thinking. You have to be a little bit careful with, um, you know, how much you show your cards and things like that. The, of course, the, you know, we're not going to spend like a drunken sailor comment made all the headlines, which I think I, some people said, oh, like that's bad PR. Al just rambles. I think that was genius PR is the quote oh, that made every headline and every media outlet. Like that's show that's a little great. personality and you PR. still get yeah. and you still get, yeah. you know, hit and on. again, like. If I were a fan, I would not want my team spending like drunken sailors because that would imply you're handing out a bunch of bad contracts. You can spend money without spending like a drunken sailor. You could spend like a uh, responsible and successful businessman and, uh, and and probably end up better for better overall. Okay, so the the whole outfield, like not emphasizing outfield and uh, and bullpen statement in my opinion 
was actually him telling you, telling you the fans, you know, the media to the, you know, through the media. Um, that means we're prioritizing shortstop, and you know, obviously he said you know, got as starting pitcher. But if you if you if you look at like the holes on this team that they're gonna have to plug, obviously you're not breaking the bank for a catcher. Uh, and there are some outfielder spots that with some guys who will command a decent chunk of change. Uh, and you're not, and, and bullpen arms, you know, certain guys go for a lot of money. So if you're not going to go for an outfielder and a bullpen guy, to me, that means that your main focus is narrowed. Uh, and starting pitching is starting pitching. Like there's a million starting pitchers out there. I'm not saying they're all good, but like, if you say we need a shortstop, there's really a list of a handful of guys that everyone knows that you're going to have to go after. Whereas you say, like, we need to get a starting pitcher, there's a million of them. So you're not really, like, tipping your hand too much. Yeah. Uh, so in my opinion, that was him saying, like, we're going after a shortstop. But, and, yeah. and, you know, have the resources that, that you know, that that's still out there as well. So sometimes you got to read between the lines because they can – not tip their hand, but they can they can tell you what they're thinking, maybe based on what they say or don't say, and I think that was an instance of that. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, there was obviously strong hints that Riley Green's going to be in this lineup real early next year, if not opening day. Uh, my one thing with kind of what we know of the Tigers' offseason plan right now, like Al said, an established starting pitcher is necessity, and that makes a ton of sense. And he didn't he didn't say this explicitly, but Kind of the vibe is that the Tigers are probably going to sign two uh, pitchers on major league deals. I think one of them, kind of the top end, 15 plus million type guy, uh, or maybe like second tier when, when we talk about the free agent market, but like a very good pitcher. And then maybe a guy, you know, kind of established, but maybe more of a bounce back candidate, a little bit of a lower deal. And look, pitching depth is important, but I and you can never have enough. And we already saw this year how quickly when you have, you think you have depth injuries can decimate that. But I've said it on this podcast before, like I'm still worried about this lineup. Sometimes I look at this year's team and I'm like, how did this team even win 77 games? I don't know. And you look at the outfield and there's just not a right handed bat. Like there's just not one, you know, Derek Hill or Daz Cameron are your only uh, primarily right-handed. Robbie Grossman's a switch hitter. Um, so I, I get a sense that you could almost have to be choosing between like a second starter and an outfielder. You know, you're probably not getting a Starling Marte and a shortstop. You're probably not getting Michael Conforto and a shortstop. But could you get Tommy Pham? Could you get Mark Canna? guys kind of in this ilk who aren't aren't superstar players but are a little better than what you have offensively in the outfield especially when you consider the fact that they hit right-handed i'd be in favor of bolstering this offense a little more it doesn't seem like that is the approach the tigers are are gonna take um they probably have more data than me maybe they have some sort of you know numbers that suggest that's not the right thing to do but I would be more in favor of adding uh, just a little bit more of, a, of an outfield upgrade, even if it's on like a one-year deal or something. I just think the Tigers need it. I think even if you do throw – next year you're basically saying, all right, Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, we need you to produce at a high level right away as rookies. And that's in a way not fair. These guys are both going to be great players, no. but we saw with 
Jared Kelnick, like these guys could get off to awful starts and have to go back down for a little while. And then suddenly like how much is your lineup really going to be improved next year? I don't know. I think you need more than just an upgrade at shortstop and two prospects to really take a step forward offensively. Yeah. And it, it it's also an example of any rebuild. And I, I, I honestly kind of don't want to use that term anymore uh, because they've entered the next phase, obviously. But the lineup is not going to be solved this offseason, just in general. Like, this just not going to happen. And you would probably look realistically next offseason to really hone in on what your peak uh, contention, you know, guys in your foxhole will be. Uh so you got everyone's everyone is kind of quick to want to get get there, but there is more of a process to it than we realize. And also, look if you sign if you do sign a Carlos Correa, that's gonna that's gonna improve everybody else's standing in the lineup. Like he's gonna make Jamer Candelario better because there's another. You know, there's a hitter in there that the pitchers have to plan for the entire time. Like he's going to make everybody else at least in more more favorable position. I don't know about better, but in more favorable position. And Riley Green, as much as I think this guy has potential to be a future MVP, uh, it could eat very easily, like you said, not be smooth out of the gate. And especially if you're going to start him at center field. I know they don't open at Comerica Park, but start him in center field at Comerica Park and be in a key spot of the lineup. It's a lot to ask of a guy in his early 20s. So, Yeah. And here's another point. It goes back to what I said about I think making the playoffs should be hard, and I, I think it should be. We're kind of already getting in this mindset of like, okay, if the Tigers get a shortstop and one more starter, like they're going to the playoffs. And look, I do think they'll be in prime position to finish second in the AL Central and be in the thick of things for the wild card game with the right upgrades this year. But making the playoffs is really hard. The Toronto Blue Jays have Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Vladimir Guerrero, Marcus Simeon, George Springer, Robbie Ray. That team didn't make the playoffs. There's this team in Anaheim that has this guy named Mike Trout and this other guy named Shohei Otani. Oh, and this other guy named Anthony Rendon and like all these other good players. And they're never in the playoffs. With the World Series so, manager. You know, with the world with, with the World Series manager, it's really hard to do. And San Diego it takes Padres. More than one piece. Oh, yeah, the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, all these star studded players they brought in, Manny Machado, oh, Blake Snell, you Darvish. That team didn't make the playoffs. So it takes more than just one addition to get the Tigers to the playoffs that scares me a little bit for next year as much as I think Hinch is a great manager as much as I think this could definitely be a team that contends for a wild card let's say Akil Badu kind of has a sophomore slump let's say Jamer uh, he kind of regresses a little bit let's say Robbie Grossman doesn't do quite as well as this year like those are all things that could very easily happen Where, where are you getting your run production from you know, yeah, you better you better hope Torque and Riley Green are both just, you know, the second coming from day one in the big leagues. 
Yeah, which again, not realistic, and everyone's got to k- keep that kind of stuff in mind. So let's move on. Speaking of uh, Jamer Candelario, you you wrote about him this week. Uh, is he the MVP this year for the Tigers? I was, I was like, are you saying the league? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Uh, there is a an award the Detroit Baseball Writers Chapter gives out, Tiger of the Year. Jamer won that for the shortened 2020 season. And uh, I think he's going to win it again in 2021. He has the highest war on the team. He has the best overall offensive numbers. Um, as much as you know, some of the pitchers were really good, I don't think you had one guy who logged enough innings to really be in consideration for that award. For me, I think my vote, um, comes down to Jamer versus Robbie Grossman. I do think Grossman brought some of the kind of intangible things you might look for in like a team leader MVP type. But then when I look at the numbers, it's like, dude, Jamer's this team MVP. He's going to be back-to-back Tiger of the Year, which is kind of crazy to think about. Tied for the league lead in doubles, hit 270 with uh, 351 on base. Uh, it's not nothing. It's not nothing. Very solid year. Top you 10 know. third baseman in the league. And third base for the past couple of years has been a position of, uh, of like wait and see. And I think we've seen like, uh, you know, you put in there two years ago, he's like battling with uh, Daniel Lugo and, you know, for the position and, Dawel. you know, that well, um, I forgot about his existence. I had so much that I couldn't even remember how, how to say. How could you his forget name. about former Tiger great Tawel Lugo? Come on. Well, because Come I on. try to forget about the JD return piece in the JD yes, Martinez. Try to trade. forget about the JD Martinez Look, trade. It was a hard. It was a hard trade. Okay, what what were they supposed to do? Tawel Lugo, great player. He's he was just high. He was like the Diamondbacks, like number two prospect or something like that. Just big time guy. Yeah. Tiger's great. Great trade. Anyway. Unfortunately, it did not work out, and uh, and then. And basically, he was looked at as a placeholder uh, for Paredes. And yes. that's not a thing anymore. Uh, we we, don't, we uh, talk about questions. We had a lot of questions about Jamer the past couple of years. Uh, now, Paredes is the next Jamer. Yeah, it's not, really. not, not in the way that we sort of anticipated, like the starting third baseman. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah. He, he's the next. like, what, what is this guy? What is he doing? Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, I, I did like Al's little joke about, uh, you know, I'm sure he's looking at the arbitration numbers or whatever, talking about Jamer and, you know, due for, uh, you know, a, a nice pay increase. But I was going to say at, you know, two million and change this year that he was getting paid. Um, it's pretty, pretty good bargain. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's going to jump up to, I don't know, I'd say six ish million this off season, maybe uh, uh, arbitration deals are weird in that you never quite know, but. Guy's going to get uh, – I'm sure he'll be able to pay his bills next year, no problem. And the guy's already worth 7.8 wins above replacement in his career, 3.2 this year. Like career uh, WRC plus is 103, so above the league average of 100. That includes his brutal 2019 year. And he's already got 1,700 major league at-bats, which is usually around the – you know, 1,000, 1,200 mark is when you start to say, okay, this guy probably is what he is. Jamer Candelario, again, not flashy, not sexy, not lighting the world up, but this guy's a solid major league regular. 
We've talked about him multiple times on this podcast, and I've gone back and forth on him as much as anyone. For whatever reason, whenever I write about Jamer, like the comments and the fan base seems to start like as much discussion or kind of argument. Like for some reason, uh, I just feel like no one is quite sure. Like some people really like him, some people don't at all. Now when I'm sitting here, I consider the fact he's been so consistent over his last 200 major league games. His career numbers are really good. His numbers over the past two years, 120 OPS plus or 125 OPS plus. Like this guy's a really good major leaguer. He's 27 going on 28. Uh, I'll be interested to see when like the, the statistical projections come out next year. This guy has the type of numbers that are going like like he's going to project to continue this performance for the next couple of years. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he levels off a little bit. I could see that happening, but I think he's your guy at third base uh, for the next couple of years at the very least, maybe more. Is it fair to say that I'll say going into the 20 season, uh, so not this off season, but going into the 20 season that, sort of like him and like a guy like Jacoby Jones were kind of in the same status. And then we, and then we saw basically a huge divergent point between the two of them over the past two years. Is that fair to say? He's like, so for sure. So talk about a starting point and where we are now. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a huge credit to him. And, you know, I, I, I I would like to say that, you know, AJ and, and Lombard and, uh, and Coolbaugh have, you know, an impact on him as well. But, I mean, that's how fringe it was not too long ago. I think it's worth remembering sometimes. And when it, when it comes to guys like him, I'm not overly worried about the lack of home run production. You would like it to be more. But if you're going to lead the league or be amongst the leaders in doubles, that means you're still putting good swings together. Um, I'm okay. You know what I mean? Is that like, would you? So 16 home runs is not shabby at all. I remember saying in like July that I thought he was going to be due for a little bit of a power surge and his home run totals indeed picked up a little bit um, there the last couple months of the season. Like if you're going to complain about 16 home runs in the major leagues um, when you're also hitting for a high average with a 350 one base percentage, like I would say, I don't know what to tell you. I would say you you probably only like watch the All Star game and think that if you don't have forty home runs, you're not a good player. Like you you know something like that. Like sixteen home runs is a pretty solid total at the big league level. I'm trying to uh, dig up some advanced stats for them. Well, and I don't. I still don't know where I where I fall on advanced stats for defense because I see stuff that doesn't mesh with my eyes. But I always. I mean, the numbers back it up. I believe, pretty good defender. You know, not gonna win a Gold Glove, but if you could have him at third and you get scope at uh, second and sign one of these shortstops uh, available at free agency and figure out something at first base, you're looking at a pretty solid infield. And third base wouldn't be a weakness. You know, and that, and again, like you're not going to get perennial all stars at every position, and I do believe that his development is one of those. I don't know if I'd say unexpected, but maybe not forecasted victories 
when a team is trying to rebuild. You need guys like Jamer Candelario that you weren't necessarily sure about. You would kind of prepare to get to move off him if you needed to. And then he becomes a solid player for you. Those are the kind of victories that developing teams need. Yeah, totally. No, I think he's um, you know, probably average-ish uh, third baseman, and I think a little better by the eye test than maybe even his metrics, which aren't great but are by no means terrible either. Uh, looking at his home runs, Baseball Savant has an expected home runs category. And I'm going to be honest, I have no idea how expected home runs is calculated. <laughs> But, you know, Jamer hit 16. His expected home runs was 18.9. So let's say 19. 19, oh, well, that's pretty close to 20. Oh, suddenly, you know, suddenly he's great. Also, the Comerica factor did bite him a little bit this year. Um, if Jamer played for the Milwaukee Brewers or played every game in uh, – it's not it's not called Miller Park anymore, is it? I don't know. Whatever that place is called now. Um is it like American Family Insurance? What is that park called? I'll, I'll look it up. You, you it, keep going. I'll it should up. always be Miller Park. It should always be Miller Park. Come on. Anyway, if Jamer played, you know, in the Brewers' home park, he would have been expected to hit 25 homers this year. Uh, 25 in, in Camden Yards. Like, it, it seems like the Camerica factor bit him a little bit. And he is kind of more in the gap-to-gap mold where maybe he's not really a hitter super built for Camerica. But let's say a couple more balls go out when he's on the road. Like Then we're not even sitting here complaining about his power right now. American Family Field. American Family Field. You want to go to the AFF, baby? Hey, I'm bored. (laughs) I'm going to go over to the AFF. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so like I said, he would be deserving of, uh, of Tiger of the Year for sure. And... The, the the nugget about how his numbers will project to more or less be steady there is um, sometimes you 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 want known commodities and he wasn't for a long time but now we can kind of look at Jamer as a known commodity as you're building up your roster as you're uh, filling out your lineup that's 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 really reassuring for a manager in a front office so uh, anything uh, down the pipeline Cody uh, coming up. On the athletic. Oh, just uh, kind of your usual off-season content. Still some year-in-review type stuff, kind of a stock report on every player on the 40-man roster. Are they trending up or trending down? Kind of a similar thing with, with some prospects. Um, nothing huge here in the works, but I think there's there's kind of still a lot more to wrap up and look forward this off-season. I think as we get a little deeper into free agency, I'll do some bigger kind of um, overarching stories on key position groups or, or positions like shortstop, catcher, pitcher, outfield, and dive a little deeper into some of the things we already talked about today, take, take a little deeper dive into the numbers. I would say for the next month or two, my coverage will be pretty pretty focused on the roster and kind of, you know, free agency, crystal ball, because um, I think that's the topic with this team right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the bigger off-seasons in recent memory for the team. And, you know, that will also mirror the content we'll have, you know, this offseason as well. Is, uh, as we'll, we'll dive into the CBA at some point. We'll go into free agency. Um, and, and we'll just keep the ball rolling here. So, all right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. 
You can follow our podcast page at Turn Corner Pod. Please subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Give us a review if you feel so inclined. We appreciate everybody uh, allowing us to be a part of your Detroit Tigers season and now be a part of your Detroit Tigers offseason. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Have a great week.